I mentioned last week that as we came to the conclusion of the book of Ruth, I was going to speak on three main themes. They are providence, promise and prophecy. Let's consider providence by which we mean the way that God's hand has clearly been at work as we've been looking at the story of this family during the time of the judges in Israel. All kinds of things have taken place and we can clearly see the hand of God at work. We've seen evidence of God's promise all through this story. The way in which Ruth and Boaz found one another. The number of times we can read the story and find ourselves saying, it just so happened. It just so happened that Ruth went to glean in the field of Boaz. It just so happened that while Ruth was in the field, Boaz came along. It just so happened that as Boaz later was waiting at the gate of the city, that man who he needed to speak to, the one who was the nearer kinsman than him, it just so happened that that man came along that very day. And it seems the way the story is told that Boaz actually didn't have to wait too long until he arrived. And it all just so happened. No, it didn't just so happen in the way that the world might say it. The hand of God was evidently at work in all of these things. The providence of God. That there was a Boaz at all. The very fact that any man or woman has been born is the providence of God. Do you know that? The very fact that Boaz even existed, let alone that he was there at just the right time, in just the right place, is all part of the providence of God, you know. And that's something that we're reminded about In the words of the elders at verse 11, they might seem a little bit strange, perhaps, if you're not aware of the stories that are being referred to in verses 11 and 12. As the the people and the elders say, the Lord make this woman, Ruth, who's coming to your house, let her be like Rachel and Leah. May your house be like the house of Perez. Well, these are descendants of Boaz. And they're remarkable stories. It's interesting because in in both of those family stories that are mentioned in verses 11 and 12, in those stories, if you were to go back and read them in the book of Genesis, you would discover there very stark examples of human weakness, of bad decisions, unlikely situations, but all of those things being used by God to bring about his purposes. Rachel and Leah were the two wives of Jacob. If you're not familiar with the story, Jacob, we talk about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, So Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Uh, Jacob was sent off to find a wife and he went to his uncle Laban's house 
and almost immediately he fell in love with Rachel. Rachel was the girl he wanted to marry. He agreed with his uncle Laban that he would work for him for seven years for the hand of Rachel in marriage. But when the wedding day arrived, Laban deceived Jacob. Jacob himself, of course, had a name which meant deceiver and he had already proven what a good deceiver he could be. But Laban deceived Jacob because Laban had an older daughter, Leah. Laban wasn't prepared for the younger daughter, Rachel, to become married before Leah. And so he put Leah in Rachel's place. And if you're wondering how that could possibly have happened, well, brides in those days would have worn a very thick veil over their face. And Leah was presented and passed off as Rachel. Jacob realised on his wedding night that he'd married the wrong woman. And so he struck up a deal with Laban that he would work another seven years for Rachel. And that's what happened, so he ended up with two wives. But in that marriage, it was not the happiest of homes. There was rivalry between those two women. One of the main reasons being that Leah, the one who Jacob didn't really love, Leah was the wife who bore him the most children. But Rachel, the wife he really did love with all of his heart, she was the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. They became favourites. And of course it was that favouritism shown towards Joseph that caused a great rift in the family. It was that favouritism shown towards Joseph that resulted in that well-known story of Joseph being vilified and hated by his brothers to the point where they were prepared to take his life. Well, at least most of them were. Some of the older boys had a bit more sense and they managed to put them off. But he ended up being sold into slavery in Egypt. And that story culminates in that overwhelmingly significant statement by Joseph to his brothers that you meant all of this for evil, but God meant it all for good. Boaz was a descendant of that family. This apparent shambles of a family was all part of God's providence, you see, to bring about his purposes and to establish the nation of Israel. God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And verse 11 records for us the prayer of the people and of the elders that God might likewise move providentially in the life of Ruth and how God will. And the next reference in verse 12 is even more startling. The story of Tamar is both sad and dramatic. The Bible pulls no, pulls no punches in recounting what happened. One of Joseph's older brothers, Judah, committed incest with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. She became pregnant and she bore a son whose name was Perez. And there he is recorded. Perez 
was the great, 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 great grandfather of Boaz. And he came from the line of Judah, which was the line from which Jesus would be born. And God demonstrates his grace in the Old Testament. And all through the Old Testament, we see magnificent signs of God's grace as he providentially overrules in the lives of his people. And Tamar, who had been abused in such an awful way by her father-in-law, was granted the privilege of being named as one of the descendants of Jesus. Read the genealogy in the opening verses of Matthew chapter 1. Tamar is mentioned there because God in his grace overruled and used even a circumstance like that to bring about his purposes and to bless Tamar that she might be remembered in such a way and that her descendants would be those from whom the Messiah would be born. And their prayer for Ruth is that in exactly the same way that Tamar is such an unlikely subject through whom God might choose to work, that Ruth, this unlikely Gentile Moabite woman, and being a Moabite woman makes her about as unlikely as a subject for God to move like this, as anyone else around at the time, that this unlikely Gentile Moabite woman might know the gracious providence of God whose ways are not our ways. And how their prayers will be answered. God's providence. Now we never use God's providence as an excuse for sin. But even in the lives of sinful people, even through the acts of wicked people, God can choose to work and show grace and fulfill his purposes. And in such a wicked world as we live today, that's a great encouragement to us in some of the really mixed up lives that some of us have got, that's a really great encouragement to us. In some of the big messes that we can find we get ourselves into, that can be a big encouragement to us. That no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. That no one is beyond the reach of God being able to take them and use them providentially to his glory. The providence of God is a wonderful thing. And we see it over and over again in this story. And we've also been confronted with promises. Naomi, in verse 15, has the promise of restored life and nourishment through the birth of a son. that he may be to you a restorer of life 
and the nourisher of your old age. You see, all the way through this story of Ruth, the undertones of Christ are evident. The undertones of the work that Christ is going to do can be seen. What a journey Naomi has been on. Naomi could easily say that she doesn't deserve God's grace. She and her husband turned their back on the promised land and off they went to Moab. They turned their back on the place where the living God of Israel was acknowledged and worshipped, even though at the time Israel was not in a good place spiritually. And they took themselves off to a land. They took their two boys off to a land that was full of idolatry and pagan worship of all kinds. She could say she doesn't deserve God's grace. She came back to Bethlehem destitute. And perhaps there are some here this evening who can find that, well, that kind of reflects my life really. Why, why should I deserve God's grace? Uh, look at the things that I've done. Look at the decisions I've taken. Why on earth should I be deserving of God's grace? Uh, look how destitute my life now is because of things I've done in my past. Why on earth should I be a recipient of God's grace? It's because in the scriptures there is a promise to you and to all who will turn to Christ that you may know that forgiveness that we've just been reminding ourselves of at the Lord's table. That there is a place in Christ Jesus, a place of restoration, a place of grace, a place of healing, a place of nourishment for the soul. You will find it in Christ and you'll find it only in Christ. And it doesn't matter how big a mess you've made of your life, the Lord Jesus Christ can deal with it. It doesn't matter how much of your past is impacting upon your life today, the Lord Jesus Christ is able to come in and to bring his grace and to bring life to bring nourishment for your soul if you turn to him. You see, in the Bible, all through the Bible, there is the hope and promise of life, life restored, life nourished. That is the hope that we find when we read through the scriptures. And that is the hope that Christ would come to bring, to seek and save the lost, to bring life where currently there is only death, to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring healing to the brokenhearted. That was the message of Christ and that is why he came. This little child was given a name. When I were told the name was given by the women, maybe it was a bit like a nickname perhaps, Obed, the name Obed means servant. Servant. Ruth gave birth to a son who was to be a servant. Why is that important? Because generations down the line from that family would be one who was born who came not to be served, but to serve. One who will be the servant of all servants, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is full of wonderful promise. And it all culminates in Christ. It all points to Christ. All the promises are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a story of great promise. All to be fulfilled in Christ. And it's a story of great prophecy. And it's not so clear, perhaps, if you only had the book of Ruth in front of you, it wouldn't be so clear. But we're in the wonderfully privileged position of having the whole scriptures uh, available to us today. And when we read that family tree from uh, verse 17, where it mentions two names after Obed, Jesse and David, if you know anything else about the rest of the Old Testament, and the book of Ruth leads into 1 Samuel and then 2 Samuel, and all these things will begin to unfold. Well, you'll know that the names of Jesse and David are hugely significant in the history of Israel. This is the David, the David who would become the great king of Israel. And then we have the full genealogy given from verse 18 through to verse 20. And we see the different generations named beginning at Perez and running through to Boaz. And then culminating Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. Boaz and Ruth would be the great-grandparents of David, the future king of Israel. And so there is prophecy here in these verses looking forward to that which is yet to be. And of course, all through the scriptures, we read of the one who is to be King David's greater son. And so with the the value of the rest of the scriptures open to us, we know that actually this family line is not going to stop at David. Oh, how it's going to progress. And of course, this is one of the reasons why both Matthew and Luke in their Gospels record for us so importantly and so helpfully the genealogies of both Joseph and Mary so that we can see how the Lord Jesus Christ indeed has come from these family lines in the Old Testament scriptures. I wonder, did Boaz and Ruth actually see David born? Perhaps they did. Perhaps Ruth actually got to nurse him as an infant. Maybe not. David was the youngest of a very large family. A lot of time had passed they almost certainly didn't see him become king. But isn't it amazing to be able to see in the Bible how God weaves his purposes through the lives of his people, how all that he has promised to do would come. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, he's promised that there's going to be the seed of a woman. And here, through all the scriptures, God is weaving the line of this family that would eventually lead to that woman in whom God's spirit would work that the Messiah might be born. And God is working through this family. Doesn't it encourage you to know that as we get older we can commit our children 
We can even commit the future of our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, even those that we will not see. We can commit them into the hands of the Lord. We may not see them grow up. We may not see how they grow up into adulthood. But isn't it wonderful to know that we can commit them to the Lord, that he might work in them, that he might work through them in the years to come by his providence and by his grace. This little book, recalling the account of this one family, it really points to the Lord Jesus Christ as clearly as any other book in the Old Testament. Let's just conclude this little series thinking about Christ. Here is Ruth, a Gentile, an outsider. She's left her family, she's left her home, never to return. She's turned her back on her old way of life. Most importantly, she's walked out on the false gods and idols that she used to worship. She's pledged herself to a new people. She's pledged herself to a new identity. She's pledged herself and committed herself to the true and living God, the God of Israel. But how can all of this be? Because Boaz will for her be her kinsman redeemer. That near relative of Naomi's who would come in and buy back all of Naomi's land. Who would fulfill that which he was obliged to do and take Ruth as his wife. Boaz is the door by which she may truly and fully enter into Israel. Boaz is the door by which Ruth may be one of them and become part of them. Boaz is the door through whom she may have a home and a place amongst them. The stranger, the outcast in many ways, the foreigner, the Gentile has been provided with a door in Boaz through whom she may enter into the blessings of God. And that descendant of Ruth, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, would stand and proclaim, I am the door. What for? So that those who are outside those who are lost, those who are strangers to God, may enter into blessing, that they may find in Christ a new identity, that they might find in Christ new hope, that they might find in Christ new life, that they might find in Christ a new home. Just like Ruth did all those centuries earlier, pictured for us so wonderfully in this story. Here you are, a stranger to the kingdom of God and not one of his people. Here you are, with no hope, and perhaps having turned to all kinds of idols. Of course, when we speak of idols, we tend to think of little statues made of wood or stone or metal. 
But an idol is anything that you put your hope in. An idol is anything that you trust in. An idol is anything that you turn to for comfort, for security, instead of turning to God. Work can be an idol. Actually, family can become an idol. Sport, some hero to worship. Your possessions can be an idol. Your health can be an idol. Some people worship good health. And if they don't have it, the whole world falls apart. And of course, all of these things that people turn to, they're also fragile. They're very elusive. They're slippery things that are hard to keep a grip on. Constantly slipping through your fingers. What can give you lasting hope? What can give you a real and definite future? There is a redeemer. A redeemer. There is a door through which you may enter and find a perfect place of rest and peace and security and hope. The Lord Jesus Christ, who's come into the world to seek and to save the lost. The Lord Jesus Christ, who's come into the world in order to save those who are perishing in their sins. He was to be a son of Obed, the servant. The one who came not to be served, but to serve. To give his life a ransom for many. He was to be a son of David. David's greater son. The great and everlasting king. The one who rules and reigns for all eternity. And Boaz and Ruth have the wonderful privilege of being just a little part of that great unfolding plan of God's purposes all through the scriptures, which would all culminate and would all be brought to their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you and I might find a home, that you and I might have new life, that we might find as Naomi was promised, life restored. Jesus is, Jesus is in the business of restoring lives. That we might find, as Naomi was promised, a nourisher for all age. That your soul might be well within you. It's been wonderful, even... This last week, as, uh, as Nana Claire was very, very weak, but proclaiming strongly her faith in Christ. She was weak in her body, but her life had been restored long ago. She was weak in her body. But oh, how Christ continued to nourish her soul. Because that's what he does. That's the promise. Do you have that? Will you be able to lie on your deathbed, proclaiming and confessing Christ 
Will you be able to lie on your deathbed with hope and peace in your heart? Let me tell you, Nana Claire was at peace in her heart. Is that your position? Do you know that? Because God has provided a redeemer. God has provided a door through which you may find life eternal, life without end, life abundant, but only in Christ.